John 17 this morning, we begin a new chapter. I want to read the first three verses, and I'm not going to deal with anything but the first verse. But I wish I could read the whole of the psalm, uh, whole of the chapter to you. This is the prayer of our Lord Jesus Christ before He enters into Gethsemane. And it's just chocked full of instruction as to how to pray, how to approach God on, on many, many things. We're going to read the first three verses this morning. These words spake Jesus, and then it says, and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son may glorify thee. As thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. We'll leave off reading there in verse 3. These words spake Jesus. These words refer to the words of the last three chapters. It refers to to what our Lord has been teaching His disciples, the time of instruction that our Lord has given to His disciples, knowing that He was going to the cross very, very quickly, and He was going to die. He had told them that He was going back to His Father. He had told them the way back to the Father was through His death, His burial, and His resurrection. He told them that part of the purpose of in offering Himself up as a sacrifice upon that cross was so that He could prepare a place for them in His Father's house. In my Father's house are many mansions. I go to prepare a place for you. He had instructed them concerning the nature of true faith, the nature of true love, the nature of true joy, and the nature of true peace. He had instructed them concerning their need to abide in Him as a branch abides in the vine. That without abiding in Him, they would not be fruitful in their Christian life. And without abiding in His Word, they could not be fruitful as a Christian, but neither would they know how to biblically pray. He had instructed them concerning loving them each other and loving as He had loved them in that manner. And then He had instructed them about loving Him and loving His Father and loving the Word of God enough to obey it. He had instructed them that they would be His representatives on the earth. And that they would carry the very same message that He had taught them and that He had been preaching for three or so years on the earth. That message that had been hated by the Jews and the Gentiles was now entrusted to them. They were to go into the world beginning in Jerusalem and carry that message into the whole known world. They were His representatives left in His place as He would go to His Father. With that command to go into the world, He told them that by doing that, the world would hate them. And they would hate them in the same manner as they hated Him. But that He would ensure that they would be protected and that He would ensure that they would be preserved and He would ensure that they would be fruitful in their efforts to take His message into the world. Finally, He told them that He would not leave them alone. He and His Father would send the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of truth would come and abide with them, be with them to come alongside them, to strengthen them, to empower them, to teach them, and to bring them into remembrance of all that had been taught to them in the three years that they had walked 
three or more years that they had walked with the Lord Jesus Christ. He closes out chapter 16 in his final instructions in the form of a promise. Despite the weakness of their faith, despite their present ignorance and need to be taught, despite the hatred of the world in which they live, yet He would be for them. None would be able to stand against them because He was for them. He would be with them wherever they were in the world. He and His Father would love them and care for them and protect them and preserve them. And most importantly, as He closes out chapter 16, most importantly, He would overcome the world. All the efforts that would be put forth by sin to defeat them, He would defeat. All the efforts put forth by Satan to defeat them and His purpose, God's purpose, He would defeat. All the efforts of the world to hate them and try to destroy them, He would defeat. He would overcome the world. He would be victorious over every enemy that would seek to hinder His work on the earth, that would seek to hinder His people on the earth. That's the culmination. That's His last promise to them at the end of chapter 16. They have arrived in Jerusalem. And chapter 17 opens with our Lord and His disciples already in Jerusalem. Just prior to the time that He would take them and go to Gethsemane. He is praying with the same disciples that He has been teaching since Acts chapter 13 and 14. He is now praying with them. They are present with Him as He is praying this prayer. In that sense, it is a public prayer because it is prayed in the presence of others. He is praying in front of the very same disciples that He has spent so much time with, so much time teaching, so much time instructing, so much time correcting their understanding of things. Now comes just hours, just hours before they will take the Lord Jesus Christ out of the Garden of Gethsemane and take Him to the cross the next morning. When our Lord... Open, when he opens his prayer here in John chapter 17, he means to teach his disciples something else. Not about love, not about peace, not about joy, not about the labors, not about abiding, not about his word. He needs to teach them about praying, about approaching God, about learning how to talk to God and about looking at the circumstance that you're in at this very moment and praying in light of that. When our Lord finished this prayer, He and His disciples would go into Gethsemane. Chapter 18, verse 1. Chapter 18, verse 1. Notice the wording. When Jesus had spoken these words, this prayer, he went forth with his disciples over the book Kedron, where was a garden into the which he entered and his disciples. Here in John's Gospel, we do not know that this is the Garden of Gethsemane. But Mark tells us in Mark chapter 14 and verse 32, they came to a place which is named Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, Sit here while I shall pray. He enters in now in the Garden of Gethsemane and now goes to pray again. In a minute, we're going to see a contrast between the prayer prayed in John chapter 17 and what takes place in the Garden of Gethsemane, that prayer. First, though, we look at John 17, verse 1. These words spake Jesus, chapter 13, 14, 15, and 16. These words spake Jesus... And then what? And lifted up his eyes to heaven. Lifted up his eyes to heaven. He now begins to pray. Our Lord is pictured in this opening verse as praying in a calm, 
confidence that God is in absolute control of all things. He is praying with an assurance that victory is waiting him on the other side of Calvary. He had already spoken of it. He closed out chapter 16 with, I have overcome the world. Calvary is yet before him and only a few hours away. And now he prays with this confidence, with this assurance of victory, which he has gained and will gain over sin, Satan, and the world. In contrast to that, when he enters into the Garden of Gethsemane, we see a completely different picture. I want to, for you to go back to Mark chapter 14. I quoted Mark 14 verse 32 and did not read verse 33 and 34. Go back over to Mark 14 and let's look at this. Now he comes into the Garden of Gethsemane. Again, now he's going to pray as he's only moments away from the mob coming and taking him out of that garden to Calvary. Mark chapter 14 in verse 32, we read, They came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he saith to his disciple, to his disciples, Sit ye here while I should pray, or while I shall pray. And in verse 32, 33, I'm sorry, he says, And he taketh with him Peter and James and John, and began, notice the wordings here, began to be sore amazed and to be very heavy. And saith unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful unto death. Tarry ye here and watch. Watch in prayer. What a contrast in only a few hours. In John chapter 17, He is serene, He is calm, He is confident, He is assured of the victory that is before Him as the words of this prayer open up before us. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the burden of all that is about to face Him at Calvary lays heavy upon His soul. He is under the burden of it. He is facing death itself. In Matthew's Gospel, he adds some more information that Mark does not reveal. In Matthew's Gospel, chapter 26 and verse 39, while in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Bible says he went a little further and fell on his face. Went a little further and fell on his face with his eyes to the earth. John chapter 17, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. What a contrast. What a contrast of, of, of time. What a contrast in praying. This morning, our focus is on John chapter 17. In this prayer, we have Jesus Christ about to enter in to His duties as the great high priest to offer up a sacrifice for the people of God. Jesus Christ is not only the, off, the high priest offering up the sacrifice, but He is also the sacrifice itself being offered up to the Father in heaven and offering up a sacrifice on behalf of sinners that God will accept. We also see Him praying in this chapter, sanctifying Himself. And by that I don't mean that He uh, is making Himself more holy. The word sanctify comes from a Greek word which means to set yourself apart. It means to set yourself apart as... In the Old Testament, they would take a pot and into the temple and that pot was sanctified for God's use. This spoon, I want to give to God to use for Him. This knife, I want to give to God. This bread, this grain, I want to give it to God to use over here. It was sanctified, set apart for God. Jesus Christ is God's high priest and He is setting Himself aside in the presence of God, in the eyes of God, as the sacrifice acceptable consecrating Himself, about ready to be offered on the Calvary's cross, that altar where sin, the sin offering was offered, about ready to offer Himself, praying that He might be set aside to God for this very purpose of 
offering a sacrifice for the people of God. He is lifting up His eyes to the throne of heaven. He is lifting up His eyes to the majesty which is on high. He is lifting up His eyes to the one true and holy God, only God, the one true God. And especially, He is lifting up His eyes to His Father which is in heaven. He prays, Father, the hour has come. Father. Go back in your mind to the instruction that our Lord Jesus Christ gave to His disciples. In this manner shall you pray. Our Father, which art in heaven. How does He pray in John chapter 17? With His eyes lifted up to His Father in heaven. Father. Father, He prays. And as we watch Him pray, as we listen to Him pray in the next several weeks before us as we go through this chapter, may God teach us something about what it is to approach Him. Father, the hour is come. He is very much aware of every aspect of His life has been ordered by God. The hour is come is speaking specifically about His the hour or the moment of time ordered by God that He should become the sacrifice. But it encompasses the whole of everything from eternity till now that God has determined for the Son of God. This hour was the predetermined time set out by the Father and agreed upon by the Son of God before the universe was created before time and matter came into existence. This hour is the time for the fulfillment of what's called the everlasting covenant in the Word of God. It is a covenant in eternity past made when there was not a heaven and an earth, there were no people, there were no angels, there was nothing but God. The triune God, Father, Son, and Spirit dwelling in a contentment with each other. Where a covenant was made between the Father and the Son that when God created all things, men would fall into sin and the Son of God would bear their sins under an everlasting covenant to save them from their sins. That's spoken of in the book of Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. Where the Word of God says, Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, through the sacrifice made for, by Christ, ratifying the covenant of God where Jesus Christ agreed to die in the place of His people, to take their sin upon Himself, to pay for that sin at Calvary's cross, and to satisfy the justice of God at that time. That everlasting covenant, having begun in eternity past before time and matter existed, continues into eternity future. That everlasting covenant where God said, this what needs to be done to save people from their sins. And Jesus Christ said, I will do it. I will do it. The hour has come. The hour has come for the blood of the Son of God to be shed, for the death of the Son of God to take place, to satisfy the righteous demands of a holy God, to ratify the everlasting covenant to secure for all eternity the souls of those given to Jesus Christ by the Father before the world began. What a contrast this is to the blood of bulls and calves which can never take away sins under the old covenant. A temporary covenant of works that can never bring a sinner into a living relationship with a living God. It was a picture of what was to come, but it could not accomplish what needed to be done by the Son of God. So, the blood of bulls and goats was the blood of a temporary covenant. 
that could not accomplish what needed to be accomplished to save sinners from their sins. But the great shepherd of the sheep, the Lord Jesus Christ Himself, at Calvary's cross, will accomplish the salvation of God's people from Adam to the end of time. The hour, the time of the fulfillment of the everlasting covenant has come. Secondly, the time, this hour, included the predetermined time of the birth of the Lord Jesus Christ. It included that. Without Christ being born, born of a woman, without Christ being born, God, fully God and man, fully man at the same time, He could not take sin upon Himself and die in the place of sinners. And so we read in Galatians 4.4 these words, But when the fullness of time has come, God sent forth His Son made of a woman. So from this hour that Jesus Christ is speaking of, we go back 33 and a half or so years to a manger in Bethlehem where Mary is given birth to Emmanuel, God with us. And the angels are rejoicing and the shepherds come to see Him. And the kings later come and offer their, their gifts to Him. This is God come in the flesh. In the fullness of time, after all these thousands of years have passed, God sent His Son made of a woman in the Bethlehem's manger. And He will grow like we grew and He will learn like we learned. You say, but He's God. He knows all things. Yes, but he, He's also man. And He grows up. And He learns. And He finds favor with man and with God. And 30 years later, He enters into His ministry. And three and a half or so years later, He comes to this hour in John chapter 17. And he lifts His eyes up to heaven and He says, Father, the hour has come. It came when I was born. It's come now. Calvary's right before me. Included in that is a third aspect, and that is this. In, it included the hour in which the Son of God would be betrayed into the hands of wicked men so that He might suffer death for sinners. We read this in Mark chapter 14. Mark 14 and verse 41. Where the Scripture says, Mark 14, 41, The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. The hour is come. The hour has come where the next thing is, the hour has come when they cross the brook Kedron, go into the Garden of Gethsemane and He prays, and the mob comes in. And the hour has come for the Son of God, the holy, impeccable Son of God, to be betrayed by Judas and that crowd into the hands of sinners. And they would lead Him out of Gethsemane. The hour has come. And number four, it is the hour or the time of the offering up of the perfect sacrificial offering acceptable to God in heaven. Acceptable to God. God had seen the sacrifices of the Old Testament. God had covered the sin of those that He would save out of the Old Testament times from Adam through Malachi into the time of John the Baptist. He, would, he had covered them waiting for the time when the Son of God would offer a sacrifice that would wash away the sins of all His people. John chapter 12, verse 27. Our Lord has said, Now is my soul troubled. He's talking to His disciples just before chapter 13. Remember where He eats with them and washes their feet. John chapter 12 and verse 27, Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. No, He would not say that, remember? Shall I ask God to save me from this moment of time that is coming in? These, these hours that I'm 
will be with you before Calvary? Shall I ask to be saved from Calvary? No. But for this cause, he says, came I to this hour. The hour has come. And for the whole purpose of my life, my whole purpose of life is to come to this hour. My whole purpose from birth till now is to come to the very moment in time when I will satisfy the just demands of a holy God against sinners and bring about mercy and grace and forgiveness of sins for them. I will take their sin and their justice and I will give them my righteousness in my in them, in, in, upon them and they can be accepted before my Father which is in heaven. That hour has come. I read Galatians chapter 4, verse 4, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth His Son, made of a woman, made under the law. But verse 5 says to redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. The next verse. Why has He come? The hour has come. He's made of a woman, made under the world. But to what purpose? To redeem them that we might receive the adoption of sons. Finally, number five under this phrase, the hour has come. Finally, it is the hour for the establishing of His spiritual kingdom. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, He enters into His gospel ministry at the imprisonment of John the Baptist. John is in prison and Jesus enters into His ministry. And as He enters into His ministry, His words are, verse Mark 1, 15, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. It's close by. And then he says, Repent ye and believe the gospel. Mark 1.15 The kingdom of God is close by. You need to repent. You need to believe the gospel message. And he spends the next three and a half years or so preaching that men should repent and believe the gospel and instructing his disciples and heading steadfast to Calvary's cross. This is the fulfillment. This hour is the fulfillment of Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 44. If you want to go over there with me so you can read it. Daniel chapter 2, verse 44. Daniel saw this time. Daniel could see. He was a prophet. He was a seer. He could see the future. God was revealing something to him. And he wrote it down. And in Daniel chapter 2, in verse 44, we read these words. And in the days of these kings, in the days of these Roman kings, in the days of these kings, shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. He, Daniel, God is pulling back the curtain and giving Daniel an understanding of this, of this uh, statue that Nebuchadnezzar had made. The gold head was Babylon, silver was uh, Medes and the Persians, and then we have the, uh, the Greeks, and then you have the Romans, and finally the feet of, of iron and clay are the Roman kings that are left. Very unstable nations. By the way, that's where we are. We're in that very unstable nation part. We're not the gold head of nations. The glory of nations, you want to know what it was? Babylon. You can read that in the Scriptures. Say, Prophet, that it can't be true. Search and see if it is not true. There's your homework. Search and see. The glory of nations. Not America. We're the clay and the iron mix here. Okay, We're part of that. If we're part of it at all. In the time of those kings, in the time of those Romans, this mixture of clay and iron, in the time of that time, the God of heaven is going to set up a kingdom. He's going to set up a kingdom in that time. Which shall never be destroyed. And the kingdom shall not be left to other people. All the kingdoms of the world 
have been put into the hands of men and all the kingdoms of the world have failed. This kingdom is not going to be left to other people. God's going to have control of that. Not left to other people, but what it shall break and break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, all the kingdoms that you see, and it shall stand forever. This kingdom is God's kingdom on the earth standing forever. Okay? Now, some people interpret it in the realm of a thousand years. I'm not going to argue with you this morning over the thousand year reign that's found in the book of the Revelation. But this kingdom is not that. Why? Because it doesn't have... This kingdom doesn't have an end. It's going to last forever. That kingdom has an end. It only lasts a thousand years. So whatever that is, it's not this. Okay? What we're talking about here is a kingdom set up by God, not ruled by men, ruled by God, which never has an end. Never has an end. And a kingdom that destroys all the nations of the world by its message. By its message. Do you want to know why the world hates the gospel? Because the world, because the gospel message takes people out from underneath kings and puts them underneath the Lord Jesus Christ. And when they're under the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, and the kings of the world say bow, and they say no, we have only one Lord. And the kings of the world, the, the, the Caesars, who thought themselves to be gods, brought the Christians and said, if you just admit that Caesar is curious, Caesar is Lord, we will not kill you. And they said, we only have one Lord. His name is Jesus. Boom! And they were dead. They were dead. The world hates Christianity because it brings the servants and the serfs of the leaders out from their authority, puts them under the authority of King Jesus, and they bow the knee to Him and confess to Him that the, He is Lord. And the kings of the world say, No, we're Lord. And if you don't believe that, all you got to do is look around you at the nations and see what they're trying to do to the people of their, that they rule over. We're the lords. We're the rulers. And the people of God say, No, we submit to one King, King Jesus. This kingdom is the kingdom that you've been brought into, taken out of the kingdom of darkness of Satan and brought into, Colossians chapter 1, the kingdom of the dear Son of God, the Son of His love. When God saves you. This kingdom is the one you have to be born again to enter into. can't see it until you're born again and you can't enter it until you're born again, John chapter 3. But when you're birthed into God, you come into God's kingdom then. And you're part of it. And there's no end to it. Heavens and earth can pass away, but not this kingdom. Not this kingdom. It remains forever. This is the hour when Daniel chapter 2, verse 44, is being brought to fruition. Being brought together. In that day, the kings of the earth in the time of these kings, in this hour, Jesus Christ is going to establish His kingdom. All the nations are going to bow. Uh, brother, I, I, it's all spiritual. I'm not, I'm not talking about physically here. But out of every tongue and out of every nation and out of every people and out of every household, God is going to just bring His people out. And the nations of the world are going to hate it. And, 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 and that's alright. Because God has got you secure in His hand. God has got you secure in His hand. And it started with the Romans. And you know what they did to the saints. They killed them. And it continued to this day. And the nations of the world still hate God. They still hate Christ. And they still hate God's people. And they still hate the gospel priests. You know why the nations try to close the door to missionaries? They don't want the gospel going in because they know 
They know what the gospel does to set people free from sin. To set people free from dead gods. They don't care if people worship dead gods. They don't care. In fact, they institute dead gods. They establish them. But they cannot have a people that come aside and worship the one true and living God. They can't have it. And this is that hour when all that is brought to pass. And in that hour, Father, the hour has come. This moment in the history of mankind that has been predetermined from the foundations of the world, this hour has come. And what does He pray? Glorify Thy Son, that Thy Son may glorify Thee. Glorify Thy Son, that the Son also may glorify Thee. His mind is not on the shame that He will face in a few short hours. His mind at this moment is not on the suffering that He will face in the next few hours. His mind is not at this moment focused on the death that will be His in only a few hours, but it is upon the glory of God. The hour has come. Glorify the Son in order that the Son may glorify Thee. What an amazing way to start. Hallowed be thy name. Glorious be thy name. Glorious be thy cause. He will be facing unimaginable shame. They will strip him. They will beat him. He will be facing unimaginable mistreatment. He will be mocked and treated as though he is a criminal. He will face pain and even death. But in this moment, as he is praying, he is concerned that God be glorified in all that is before him. In all that will take place in the next few hours, God, glorify your Son in order that your Son may glorify you. He is not asking for strength at this moment to meet the cross, though there is no doubt that in those moments before Calvary where the angels come to strengthen Him, that He needs strength to face the cross. But He is not asking for that at this moment. Instead, He is praying for the ability to glorify the Father by His death, in His resurrection, and in His ascension. He Praise, Father, in the midst of all the hatred that is about to be revealed against the Son of God, glorify your Son and allow your Son to glorify you. He prays, Father, in the midst of all the lies that will be told about your Son, in the midst of the miscarriage of justice, in the midst of of the evil and abusive governments, both Jewish and Gentiles, taking power of, over them, over the Son of God, an abusive power of government over the Son of God, in the midst of all of that, glorify your Son in order that your Son may glorify you. He prays that in the midst of all the suffering and the shame, that you will allow to come against me because nothing comes against the Son of God without divine permission. Nothing comes against the children of God without divine permission. Father, in the midst of all the shame and suffering that you will allow to come against the only begotten Son of God, glorify your Son in order that your Son may glorify you. Glorify thy Son. Glorify your Son. Before the Son of God was sent to earth, 
He shared the glory of God with God. The glory that is God with God. Paul talks about it in the book of Philippians, chapter 2, verse 6 and verse 7, where he says, who being in the form of God, speaking of Jesus Christ, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He was not robbing God of any of His glory by declaring Himself to be God because He is God. And I know that doctrine is hard to grasp, even harder to understand. But it is true that there is only one God made known in three persons. Not three gods, but one God made known in three persons, yet only one God. So that the Father and the Son of God and the Holy Spirit are all one God. And I know you can't grasp it or understand it, but the Scriptures declare it to be true. And God calls upon us to believe it. And in that state with God, before there was any creation, God, the Son of God, shared the full glory of what it means to be God. The full glory He had it. But, verse 7, Philippians 2.7, He made Himself of no reputation, took upon Him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. He now prays that the Father would glorify the Son. Verse 5, let me introduce it for him. Let me wait on that and get this point first. To glorify the Son as God has already been glorifying His Son. Glorify the Son as He is, both God and man. Glorify the Son for what He has been doing from the time of His birth till now. And glorify the Son for what He will do in just a few hours at Calvary. Glorify the Son by sustaining Him. By sustaining Him in all that is about to take place. I wonder if we've ever prayed in the midst of our trials, Father, glorify me so that I can glorify you in what I am facing this moment. As we try to learn as Christians to walk as He walked, as we learn what it means to be conformed to the image of the Son of God, have we learned to pray, Father, glorify Your child so that Your child can glorify You in this situation that I'm facing. That's what He's praying. Glorify the Son so that He is able to accomplish all that You have sent Him to do. I often pray, Lord, I know that You have ordained my works. I want to do them. You have ordained my fruit. I want every piece of it. He is sovereign, but I am responsible. He has ordained some things for me, but I have not yet acquired all that He has ordained for me. And I'm praying that I might accomplish what God has ordained for me to accomplish. It seems inconsistent, doesn't it? To believe in sovereignty and responsibility bring me to the place where I believe what God has said about my fruit and pray as Christ is praying. Let me be glorified. Let glorify me so I can glorify you on the cross to accomplish what you've sent me to do. Glorify the Son as I defeat all the enemies that stand between you and your people. Glorify the Son as I take sin on me and the judgment for that sin. And as Satan thinks he has gained the victory and I overcome him. And as the world believes it has silenced the voice of God and I overcome them. Glorify the Son so that I might glorify you in the midst of this. Glorify the Son as I pay the sin debt of your people. Glorify the Son as I lay three days and three nights in that grave. Glorify the Son as on the third day I rise from that grave to justify your people. Glorify the Son as I spend time with my people. Glorify the Son as I ascend back into heaven. Glorify the Son with the glory I had with you. Verse 5. John 17, 5. 
Glorify, O Father, glorify Thou me with Thine own self, with the glory which I had with Thee before the world was. Well, to do that, He takes Him through the Garden of Gethsemane. He takes Him through Calvary. He takes Him through that tomb. He takes Him through the, the resurrection. He takes Him through 40 days and nights upon the face of the earth as He's with His people. And He takes Him from the earth. And He brings Him all the way to glory and sets Him at His right hand and glorifies the Son with the glory He had from before the foundation of the world. This is what He's praying for. This is what He's praying for. But He also prays that His Father might also be glorified by His Son. That Thy Son also may glorify Thee. That Thy Son may continue because He has been seeking to glorify God through His whole earthly ministry. In all that He's done, in every message that He's preached, every time He has taught somebody the Word of God, in His ministry as He's fed people and healed them, in His miracles, in all that He's done, He's done it for the glory of God. That God would be magnified on the earth. That men may see that there is a God in heaven who is real. That the nations may know that Thou art God. He has done that. And now He prays that the Son may glorify His Father in His sufferings. That the Son may glorify His Father in His death. That the Son may glorify His Father in obtaining salvation for His people. We don't need dying grace today to glorify God on our deathbed, but someday we will. Someday that moment will come and we are facing that moment when we pass out of life into death. And if you're a Christian at that moment, Father, glorify Thy child so that Thy child can glorify Thee in this also. In this also. That Thy Son may glorify His Father in the midst of His sufferings. That the Son may glorify His Father in His submission to the Father's will in His death, burial, and resurrection. That the Son may glorify the Father accomplishing everything His Father chose for Him to accomplish. Father, glorify Thy Son in order that Your Son may glorify You in what is facing Me. And in terms of application, may God teach us to walk as He walked in every situation. May God teach us to have a heart be as the heart of the Son of God as He is facing Gethsemane and Calvary. I have no idea what the days are before me. I pray earnestly that God may yet let His people in this nation live quiet and peaceable lives. That is my desire. That is the desire. That is the statement of Scripture. That is the prayer that can be prayed. Lord, give us days in which we can live quiet and peaceable lives. As I pray that for this nation, I know that in India they do not have a quiet, peaceable life. And in Mexico, they don't have it. And in Thailand, they don't have it. And in Vietnam, they don't have it. And in Russia and China, they don't have it. But they can have that moment of quiet and peace with God in the midst of the trouble that they're in. And if God allows that day to come for us, may we be able to pray as the Son of God, the hour has come. As Job prayed, that which I feared has come upon me. I was afraid this day was coming. I prayed that it wouldn't. But it has come. And now let me face it in such a way that I bring glory to my Father. That's why he was able to say, God has given, God has taken, blessed be the name of the Lord. The hour had come for Him to glorify God in all things. Prayer, secondly, is a means God has ordained 
in every aspect of our Christian life. Especially in times of suffering and trial. In every hour of our life, the hour has come. Right? Ecclesiastes chapter 3. There's a time for everything under the sun. The hour has come. This is where I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be in the house of God. It's Sunday morning. The hour has come. And I'm supposed to be here. Father, glorify your child so that your father so that your child can glorify you. The hour has come. It's Monday morning. I need to go to work. The hour has come. I need to get up. I need to get those dishes done. The hour has come. I need to get those clothes washed. The hour has come. My children need attention. The hour is upon me. Father, glorify your child so that your child could glorify you in this hour. Whatever hour it is. In Christ, it is the hour before Calvary. In us, we are not yet facing death that we know of. Whatever the hour is, even if that hour includes our suffering in the name of Christ, glorify your child so that your child can glorify you. Our hearts ought ought to desire God to be glorified in whatever circumstance we find ourselves. And finally, our desire for God to glorify us is biblical. God, magnify true Christianity in my life. I am a Christian. I have taken the name of Jesus upon myself. I have opened my mouth and said that I am a follower of Jesus Christ. Magnify Christianity in my life so that you may be glorified in what you're doing in my life. Glorify thy child. Magnify true Christianity in my life so that they may see my good works and what? Glorify my Father which is in heaven. Isn't that how Christ taught us to pray? That they might see and glorify God. Wow! This one verse shook me to my soul this week. Because as I meditated on it and thought about it, in the midst of all that was going on, I would steal away. You can ask my family. I would steal away, go to my room, shut my door, and take an hour, an hour and a half. And I would come out, and there's the crowd, and there's grandkids, and I love them, and I want to be with them, and I want to talk to them. And that was my week. And I'd steal away another hour or so, and I would come aside in the early morning hours or because I wanted to understand what he was saying when he opened his mouth and said, Father. And the next words that followed, I want to grasp it because I want to live it. Because I want to be like him. And I don't always measure up, but I want that. And may it be so with all of us. May the Lord help us. Let's pray together.